Um, I'm really am not an expert in this. Um, the last time I bought my wife a ring was when I proposed to her, and the diamond was really small. But I'd like to begin with a question. Uh, is, do you know how to tell a real diamond from a fake? No? Okay, it's probably not going to happen to any of you, but um, suppose somehow you stumbled upon what looked like a diamond while you are on an expedition to nowhere. You know, you're walking around in the bush and then you find this piece of rock. Can you tell the difference between a real diamond and a fake? Uh, I certainly don't, so I had to read this up. And so somehow, in the middle of nowhere, you whipped up your mobile phone and you Googled this, which is what I did. How do you tell a real diamond from a fake? Uh, and so according to the website, the Diamond Pro, the best thing to do is to bring the diamond to a professional. Not very helpful because you're in the middle of nowhere, so you read on. Uh, well, there are all these little tests you can do, and the water test is the simplest, or actually one of the simplest. You fill up a normal drinking glass with two-thirds water, and then you drop the stone into it. And if the stone sinks to the bottom, it's real. If it floats... Uh, or it's partially kind of somewhere, somewhere in the middle, it's not a real diamond. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? All right, heavy. A real diamond has high density, and so the water test brings this out. So, so far, so good. You know, there's a good chance that you might be holding on to a real diamond. Um, next comes the fork test. In other words, you hold the diamond between your fingers and you breathe on it, causing the surface to fork. And if the fork disappears after a few moments, it's not a real diamond. Uh, a real diamond conducts heat away very effectively, very efficiently, and therefore the fork should dissipate immediately. It's almost like, you know, wow. Uh, next comes the clarity test, and then there is the reflection test, and of course there is the cut the grass test, uh, cut the glass test, although that's not very reliable anymore because these days, there are artificial gems that are just as hard. Uh, but you get the idea, isn't it? You do all this series of tests, and eventually you work out whether what you're holding in your hand, is it a precious stone or is that a fake? Now, in our context, you probably won't find a piece of rock. You probably receive a ring. And uh, I'm not, again, I'm not an expert in this, so seek professional advice, but... You can probably work out whether your, the ring that your husband or boyfriend gave you is authentic or not. Say something about the person, doesn't it? Uh, but one thing I'm absolutely sure and confident is this. You know, diamonds are not forever. And they are not even the most precious things on earth. Because faith is. Right? The, the text that we're looking at today, faith is the most precious thing. Uh, and if you are trying to work out whether your husband or boyfriend is, you know, giving something that's given you that's authentic or not, uh, I think it's probably better to work out whether their faith is authentic or not, right? That's more important in my opinion. And so on the website, is you try and work out the four C's of the diamond ring. Do anybody knows four C? If you have the notes, you can cheat. But apparently the four C's of a diamond are the cut, the color, the clarity, and the carrot, right? You want to work out whether it's that a good diamond. Uh, Asians always have the four C's for men. Do you know? 
Asian women has four C's for men to work out whether they are good men. No? It's not in my notes, this one. But, you know, you work, work out whether they have car. You gotta have a car. You gotta have um, cash, condominium, because you're in Asia, uh, and of course a credit card. There's a few other C's that you might want to look out for. Uh, but uh, the question I want to ask for us in the context of 2 Peter 1 is, you know, is your faith authentic and real when you say that you are a follower of Jesus? Is your faith precious? Uh, and will it stand the test of time? Why don't I pray and then we'll look at this text. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is living and active. And even today, it is you speaking to us. Uh, so teach us how to make our faith more authentic and attractive. Uh, help us to add to our faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love, so that we might bear fruits and bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, is the Christian faith precious for you? Uh, it, how precious is it? Uh, we're about to meet some, someone for whom it is absolutely priceless. All right, the person that I'm thinking of, of course, is the Apostle Peter. So come with me to the beginning of 2 Peter chapter 1, and if you have your Bible closed, now will be a good time to open it. Uh, and so... Uh, if you are in the first century and first century letters will look something like this, right? There are three components to it. First, the person who writes the letter, then to whom is it written to, the recipient, and finally there is a greeting. So that's how it's structured. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, uh, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and uh, goodness. So accordingly, we can work out who wrote the letter, to whom was it written for, and the greeting, etc. So uh, the letter is written by Simon Peter, who described himself as a servant, or the word is a slave, and apostle, all right? somebody who has been commissioned and sent out for a task or to send a message. And so he's a, a slave and, deliver, uh, and the, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was young, uh, I used to think that Christ is the surname of Jesus. That's just his surname. And then I realized that, no, he's not. And so in his days, Jesus would have been known. His surname would have been Jesus, son of, jo son of Joseph. Right? That's how people would have identified him. I know that the title Christ means the anointed one. Uh, it's the Greek version of the Jewish term Messiah. Uh, and so here, right at the beginning, we see that Jesus is the real diamond in this passage. He's the Christ, uh, the anointed one, the king. Uh, the writer, of course, uh, we know Simon Peter from the gospel. We know him as a fisherman turned disciples of Jesus. He was part of the inner circle of Jesus. Uh, and as he indicates later here in this letter, he was an eyewitness of Jesus when Jesus was transformed into his glory. 
Uh, so you see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, it talks about that experience. Uh, and so right up we see here is, here is Simon Peter, the ex-fisherman who is totally and utterly surrendered to Jesus. That's what a slave means. He is surrendered to Jesus. Jesus is the most precious person in his life. And for Jesus, he would do anything and give up anything and everything for his master and king. Jesus Christ is that master, that king. He is that rock, that diamond for which is priceless. So that's the writer. And then verse 1, the second half of verse 1 tells us who the letter was written for. So we discover as we read on that it was written to people, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as the apostles. Uh, and so they are written to, Peter was writing to Christian during his time who are sharing in the same faith as the apostles. And it's amazing, isn't it, that it's almost as if we could fit that description today uh, if we share in that same faith. Uh, almost 2,000 years have passed since Peter wrote this letter, and today it is just as if God is talking to us. Scripture has a way of doing that, isn't it? When we read Scripture, God is speaking to us. This is relevant for us because our faith that we have uh, it should be as precious as the faith of the apostles. Uh, and so in this letter, Peter is saying to his audience, which is to us, right? You have received something precious and amazing, just like I have. Make sure, make sure that it is authentic. Make sure that it is attractive. I think that's what Peter is referring to if you jump down to verse 10 and verse 11 where Peter talks about you know, making, sure, making your calling and election sure. That's what he's, Peter is talking about. He's making sure that the faith that you have is authentic. It is real. It is the real deal, the real deal and not a fake. And so, Right up back, uh, right here in, in, in the beginning of the letter, Peter is making a comparison here. Right? The, the Greek work there talks about the fact that the preciousness is just as precious, equal value. Uh, and so for Peter, who is an eyewitness of Jesus, he was there with Jesus, he saw Jesus transform, he experienced the glory. And so for him, his faith is precious, it's intimate. And Peter is saying that for us, you know, we are almost sharing in that intimacy. It is just as precious. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, how precious is this faith for you? You know, whenever I think about faith, I, I, I think about it in this way. It just could be me, but maybe you, 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 might, you might understand this. I ask whether do I have faith? All right, that's an important thing. Do I have faith? Or is my faith strong enough to help me go through whatever that I'm going through? Right? Do I trust enough, trust God enough? Um, see, if, the, if we think about faith this way, from this perspective, faith is you either have it or don't, right? Faith is excellent or present. Uh, faith must be accomplishing something, it's doing something, it's saving me, it's driving me forward in my Christian walk. Uh, but to think like that is to be quite pragmatic and utilitarian in a sense, right? Uh, faith is what I need to get me home to our Heavenly Father. All of that is true. 
Uh, but to ask the question of whether is it precious, that's a different way of asking this question. So from that perspective, uh, it moves us beyond to the what and why of faith. Actually, it moves us to see the person behind that faith. Uh, we start to see the person. What does it cost this person? What does it cost him to give us this faith? And maybe if we see it from that perspective, faith is no longer just precious for what it does for us. Faith is precious for what it reveals about that person and what that person has gone through so that we can have this faith. Uh, so we're still at the opening segment of this letter. This faith is precious because we received. Right? That, that's the word that we received it freely. Uh, it's free for us, but it's not cheap. Then you come to understand really what's happening here. It costs Jesus his life, his suffering, and his death. That's why it's precious. As we read on, we continue to discover how rich and precious is this gift of faith because it really comes to us from a generous God. So verse 2, right? that's the greeting bit. So grace, again the word means undeserved gifts. Grace and peace be yours, be ours in abundance. Right? There's no limit to this grace and peace that God gives us because of our relationship with Him through faith. Uh, grace in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, or verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. And so we have every confidence that our God is generous he gives us everything we need to, fo- to be a good follower of Jesus Christ. God is not a stingy God in that sense. Uh, through these, again in the context, you know, through God's glory and God's goodness and kindness and compassion, all of that is in that, that phrase there, God gave us His great and precious promises. Through these promises, He sent His Son to save us from the corruption of the world, and our sinful desires. The outcome is so that we may have fellowship with God's future uh, and have fellowship with the triune God Himself. That's what it means to participate in the divine nature. It doesn't mean we become God. Uh, It means that we're being drawn into fellowship with God and His character and His Godness, so to speak. So, Another way of saying this is we have been set free from the power of this world by a higher divine power. And we see that this, this is done by the Trinity itself. The entire Godhead is involved in this. So in verse 2, we, we see God the Father and Jesus our Lord the Son. But where is the Holy Spirit? Well, He is in verse 3. Right? That divine power, you know, that dynamite that comes, comes in, that force, Uh, That's the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit at work saving us. It will be the Holy Spirit at work in helping us to become fruitful. And so even even as we kind of just linger in the opening segment of this letter, there is a lot to be thankful for. We can be glad and thankful to be receiving such a precious faith from Jesus himself. Uh, It's a precious gift prepared by our loving God so that we can be brought into fellowship 
with him. And so here we encounter Jesus. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our greatest husband and lover. He is better than diamond. So that's why faith is so precious, because we are brought into a relationship with him. Uh, For Jesus, it's worth paying everything to obtain him. Total surrender. Just like the, you know, just like Simon Peter. Just so that we can have Jesus. And then comes Peter's warning and exaltation for us because he says then, I make every effort to add. This is the tricky bit now. So we need to follow Peter's logic here so that we don't become confused about the relationship between faith and our effort. Uh, so verse 5 Peter continues, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge uh, and to knowledge self-control, etc., etc. So there's all this list of things. Uh, And the important key word here is it looks like effort. It looks like we need to do something about it, isn't it? And so some of us might find verses 5 to 7 a little confusing and maybe a little confronting as well. Because it's quite challenging, you know. We, it, there, the expectation is that we are to be holy people. Self-control is hard. Uh, so, uh, how can we add anything to faith when faith is a gift? Some of us might be asking that. Uh, didn't you just say that faith is based on what Jesus has done? So why is Peter asking us to add to faith with my effort? Again, here it's important, again, to just listen to scriptures. Sometimes when, I mean, we think theologically, and we have some of our theological presuppositions. Uh, From our context, it is a reform presupposition. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, not works. Uh, And if we don't listen to the text, we can jump to to conclusion, and we miss what Peter is trying to say. And so just, just let Scripture speak to us, right? Follow Peter's logic. Uh, so for this reason, right, very specifically, Peter is pointing to uh, precisely because faith is precious and so good and so free that we are to add to our faith to these things. Does that make sense? Right, the preciousness of this faith prompts us to respond to become the sort of people that are authentic. Uh, people who will make this faith attractive. So Peter wanted us to make sure that our calling and election is sure. It's like the diamond that we spoke about. See, adding to the faith does not compromise its essential nature of this diamond. It's, 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 it's dense. right? It's got substance. Uh, but we need to make sure that we, we ourselves, as we come in contact with this faith, right, um, we are holding on to the real faith and not one that is made up in our imagination because our lives will tell whether we are authentic or not. Are we for real, in other words? Is our faith authentic? Is it attractive? Will others be able to tell that we are authentic uh, we are, you know, genuine followers of Jesus through our loving actions? Or are we short-sighted and blind, which is what Peter is going to refer to? Are we, we, we're just deceiving ourselves, so to speak. 
Do we see faith as only useful to get us out of hell, but not attractive enough to want to motivate us to get to heaven, to be with fellowship with God, to become godly people, so to speak? And so it is about, I think, in my opinion, authenticity and the attractiveness of this faith that we are sharing in. So coming back to verse 5 and 7, again, you know, just want to very quickly look at this in a bit more detail. We are to add to our faith, you know, for this very reason, right, for everything that Christ has done for us, make every effort to add to our faith goodness. The word just means excellence of character, just like God. Um, and then one, and then to add to that, you know, we are to to add to that knowledge, knowledge of God, who He is, and what He's done, of God's character. Notice that the word knowledge appears a few times in this passage. And notice also the expectation of this entire passage that we are to grow in all of these qualities, including our knowledge of God. So there is no room for complacency here in this passage. We just assume that, yeah, I'll be okay. No, we need to grow in our knowledge of God. The more we know Him and understand Him, the more we are going to be transformed to become like Him. Uh, then we have to practice self-control uh, as opposed to indulge our selfish and self-centered desires. Uh, this is the bit that I find most Christians struggle with. So different from what the world is telling us, isn't it? Uh, we are to exercise restraint when it comes to our appetite, when it comes to our love for money, our sexual pleasure, or you know, our, our alcohol consumption, anything. Uh, it means not to be mastered by something when Jesus should be your master. Uh, if you know a little bit of your Bible, you notice that self-control appears frequently in parts of the Bible that describe Christians as spiritually mature. Uh, it's really the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I would say, suggest that this whole section here is Peter's version uh, of what Paul would describe as the fruit of the Spirit. So if you are walking with God, in fellowship with God, then you are going to sh demonstrate these characteristics as you work hard in developing them. And so it's clear, therefore, that you know, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. It is our job, it's our work, but it is also the Spirit work producing this fruit. And next, we are to persevere in our faith, especially when we are going through a difficult time. And so for Peter's first century audience, they will understand this because they were going through a very difficult time. Right? Christianity was a minority at the time, minority religion at the time. Christians were being persecuted and false teachers were harassing the church. And so it's important for Christians to press on, to persevere, um, they might be tempted to give up Christianity, but Peter is writing to them, don't. Continue to hold on to this faith that is precious. We might be tempted to give up our faith, but Peter wants us to press on. Again, because Jesus is precious. He is worth it. I know some of us are doing it tough because of suffering, because of trials at our workplace, our families, or sicknesses. 
But if you are holding on to your Christian faith and not compromising, you're continuing to trust in God, then well done. Good on you. You know, your faith is authentic uh, and it is attractive. You know, when Christian, uh, are Christ-like, when, especially when it comes to suffering, we are very attractive to the world. You are an encouragement to the brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere else in the world. See, God sometimes allows suffering so that our Christian character might be refined and polished, just like a diamond, so that in the end, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ can be seen, reflected through us. That's what godliness is, isn't it? So when you, when you add to that godliness, it is you demonstrating the image of your Savior, being cut into the image of Jesus. Uh, one description of godliness is the degree of Christ-likeness in you. And so when you are suffering, when you're being like Christ, you're imitating God's character. And finally, because God is essentially love, we are to love one another. Right? Not, not be self-centered and self-focused, but be other person-centered and practice agape love. That's what you know that love that word is. It's unselfish love. So these are the things we pursue. We make every effort to do them. Not to make us believe in God, but precisely because we believe that God has already saved us and that we have already received this precious gift, that God by His divine power has given us everything we need if we make our minds up to live this holy life because of Jesus. Jesus is that rock, that diamond, right? That cornerstone, to use a bit of a Peter's language. And when we are attached to him, we become like living stones ourselves, becoming transformed into his image, being built up together as a house. That's how we know that our faith is authentic. That's how we tell whether, you know, are we, is our faith diamond or is it a fake? You know, just sometimes on the surface, it's hard to tell, isn't it? But only time will tell. We don't want to make the mistake here of assuming that we're okay when we're not, right? There's no room for complacency here because the cause of making the mistake is eternal, right? Coming down again to verse 10, the second part, you don't want to miss out on entering into God's kingdom because we are blind and short-sighted. Finally, those who believe in Jesus will hate sin. That's one of the kind of the quality that is in us, right? If all that we are being asked to aspire to be is godliness like God, who is holy, then it makes sense that those who, you know, are with God, who desires to be like God, will hate sin. So, looking again at verse 8 and 9, Right. If you possess this quality in increasing measure, if you keep adding on this so that your character develops, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive uh, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is that word. And I think this sentence, this verse just means that when your faith doesn't, go, doesn't grow. You're just there. That's it. Right. Yep, Jesus is my Savior. I'm not going to hell. Yep, full stop. You're not bearing fruits. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. 
So not only are we to pursue a godly life, we are to keep on doing this increasingly so. Right? There is an expectation that we will continue to become more and more like Jesus. Otherwise, we become ineffective, unproductive, and there is a danger that we are nearsighted and blind with regards to our true spiritual condition. So we claim to believe in Jesus, but our behaviors and lifestyles actually remains in you know a, a sin. But by that I don't mean that we stop sinning, but that we we we, we should hate sin. Right? Christian will continue to sin because we're human, but it's different when it doesn't mean anything to us that we are sinful. We should hate sin. We should feel sorrow when we sin. We should ask God to forgive us. If not, then what Peter is saying is that we forget that Jesus died to save us from the corruption of sin. He died. That's the cost he paid to bring us to God. It's a costly price. We forget that we've already been cleansed. And so to put it all together for us this afternoon, is your faith precious? Another way of asking the same question is, when do, you, do we understand and appropriate, maybe is the word, what Jesus has done for us on the cross? The cost that it cost Him so that we can be friends with God. If we do, then we realize that it is precious. And that's going to change the way we view our life, the way we live our lives, right? So let's not become distracted by the fake things of this world. It's so easy to become distracted by the fake things of this world. How can we tell if the things that the world gives us will last forever? Well, we test them. Are they from God or are they from the world? Do they make us more like God or more like the world that is corrupt? I'll pray. Uh, and, you know, as I close this service for us, can I encourage you to read the rest of 2 Peter? It's a great letter. Uh, can I encourage you to think about your own faith? Uh, not about whether you have it or don't have it, but, you know, is it precious? Uh, will you surrender all your life to this faith? Let's pray. Father, your word reminds us that faith comes from hearing your word. Uh, and today we've heard your word speaking to us. Uh, and so we, we ask that you lift our eyes to see Jesus. Um, he is the one who is priceless and precious. And help us to continue to fix our gaze on him, that we might become like him. In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, thanks for joining us. Uh, God bless. I uh, hope to see you next week at 5.30, not 4.30.